Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Preston M. Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm Preston M. Smith, at PMS Artwork Everywhere on Internet Land and Socials. I want to thank you for landing on this podcast. Whether you're a professional artist, just getting started in the art world, a collector of art, or just consider yourself a creative person, this podcast has something for you. I like to think of it as a fun way to rant and talk to other creative people about living the life of an artist, surviving and getting ahead in the art world, and enjoying your life. But most importantly, not waiting until you're dead to make it happen. All right, let's get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Came prepared, brother. <laughs> I love it. I love getting the options. Oop. Okay, it says that. Uh, oh yeah, be good. Is that better? It is much better. I think we That's should better. do this whole interview in three parts. We can try <laughs> different kinds of audio with each one. <laughs> we we can have one of the parts be the only thing that I can't control here in my apartment is uh, my cat who's right in the backyard. She yells. She has some medical conditions going on and mm-hmm. it's just a thing that happens with i guess hyperthyroidism i don't think she's gonna yell because i just fed her okay but you you would hear it it would be a fun background noise so well, we can we can yell yeah. to you know to make it blend in every time she yells we can just be like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we'll make it work don't worry about it so how are you today i'm good i uh really kind of just uh, decompressed like you were talking about you know uh, yeah. almost like for for a gig just we're already rehearsed you rehearsed you know you're you know we know what we're going to talk about we're going to have a good conversation yeah exactly so i'm i'm in a good frame of mind and uh yeah man so i love it i'm i'm ready to barrel through do you usually take powder room break in the middle what's your normal we MO? can do whatever you want Okay. We can we can take a pee break. We can leave it in. Whatever, whatever you. <laughs> there might be a little bit. His, there might be a little bit of it. The urinal with his ear pods in, and you yeah, yeah. all on. Oh my god! It's okay. like Naked Gun, the first Naked Gun. Ooh, you remember? I do. <laughs> so, so many. My wife gets really frustrated with two things: peeing on film and throwing up on film. She's like, oh, really? "Okay, yeah, we don't need to see it." this okay? I get it. Just convey that in a different way, please. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I completely agree with you. I don't yeah. like the the vomiting thing on on film. Although it's very obvious that they're just had the actor sit with the fluid in their mouth and then they just kind of like spit it out. <laughs> so it's like, oh, and if you you're going to do it, can, just CGI it or something, you know? And you can see it coming as a viewer of the film if, you, if you're kind of paying attention. You're like, oh, no, not another. No, exactly. one of those scenes, please. <laughs> well, let's uh, welcome back to vomiting and peeing on screen. 
with uh, Lee and Preston. That's going to be our little side, our side hustle. So I just want sure. to warn you, I might have a truck. It's weird. I've got a courier picking up a painting today. And okay. Don't worry. Interrupt us. So, but hey, I like these things. These are all fun. You know, it's life. And um, they didn't even tell me who's picking it up. They're like, they'll have the labels. And I'm like, okay, that's never happened right. before, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So well, we're going to roll with it. Yowling cats and growling trucks. Be <laughs> exactly. <subtitle. clears throat> Yowling and growling. I like it. It sounds like a memoir. Um, We, you know, we, we go back a little bit now. We go back about three years, right? Three years, three and a half. So I met you through seeing some of your work at uh, Mike Collins's shock box. Of course, our mutual friend. Yes. Um, That would have been, okay. The book went into production in, uh, mid 19. So sometime in the fall of 2018, Preston is when I saw your work, wrote your name down, typed it into my phone and said, now I need to screw up the courage to contact <laughs> this famous artist whose work looks like, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm on, on you know, debut poetry book. Is there going to be a bridge here? And I chewed on my fingernails for I think probably four or five months. And then I just said, his website says, DM me for collaborations and yeah. commissions. I'm like, if there was ever an open door, <laughs> right? Lee, you know, just walk through it. And also advertising, are, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love it. No, it was great to hear from you. And we, ha- I have the book right here. I mean, not that this may someday be on YouTube somewhere. Oh, there you go. We got the dueling copies. I love it. That's yes. a smart looking cover you have there. That's a Preston. <laughs> what a what an interesting painting. No, yeah. I mean, and you graciously opened your portfolio to me. I mean, it's all up on the internet. And you said, Lee, why don't you go through and send me your manuscript? I sent you the beta, and you were a beta reader too. So yes. many thanks for that. And uh, oh, it was fun. I loved I loved reading it. You know, and uh, as people, your audience should know, Preston is a poet too. Um, it has a book. You can get it on Amazon. I've got it. I've read at page one to, is it about a 80, 90, maybe a hundred pages with, with it's opposing, long. It's opposing a long poetry book. offset painting yes. that I thought matched beautifully to each poem. Okay. Oh, thank you. Well, let's, so I, let's talk yeah. more about me. Let's talk about you. <laughs> but, then, but, but that's what happened. So, no, totally so that painting allowed us to create a relationship, you know, collaboration. And and again, thank you for the use of the uh, painting on the cover, Elements and Dreamscapes. And yeah. everyone says they're compelled to pick up the book, to look at it and, and go deeper into it as a function of that image. It really does convey, I think, a lot of the themes in the book. Yeah. And I think that was a really fun process for us to go through. I know you were looking at multiple pieces and I think you settled on the right one. Yeah. It really does complement the writing well, I think. And, you know, it sets the stage. Obviously, for anybody listening who's a visual artist and not a writer, this kind right. of also bridges the gap between, you know, the literary field and the visual arts. Like you can license your work out to to yes. writers. Um, you know, that's that's available to you. But I love yeah, this exactly. collaboration. Digital rights digital rights, licensing. I yeah. think that is something that any artist uh, in the painting field, particularly a visual, you know, could be a sculptor. Um, yeah, I agree with you that that's a mechanism for part, you know, uh, a revenue stream. Sure. And I also love, though, that there's this overlap 
with all of the arts and different forms of creativity. And I know so many people I've had on here. You're the first actual writer, I guess we should say. You're listening to Lee Hudspeth. He's a professional writer. And um, we're talking about his book, Incandescent Visions, right now. We're going to get into a bunch of other stuff. But I've had a lot of artists in here who've worn multiple hats, who've, you know, they are a visual artist primarily, but they've been in bands, they play music, they've written some yeah. books, they've done some children's books, things like that. So it's yeah. um, it's one of those things where there is an overlap with creativity and we should never be kind of trying to cap that and just you don't stay in your lane, do whatever speaks to you. Exactly. And, you know, we've talked, I know I'm just going to bounce from topic to topic, so I'll let you steer me Let's back onto the path, but we've talked about this. There's idea. no steering wheel here. <laughs> Sometimes getting <laughs> caught in, in a rut and doing the same thing, you know, it might be online art galleries, or for me, it might be just haiku, you know, and, and, or, whatever it might be, or self-publishing and being, I'm, I'm an adamant self, I'll always be an indie publisher. I'll never go back to having an agent or be being published traditionally. Yes. Well, you're preventing yourself from experiencing new ways of connecting and broadening with your audience, right? So I completely agree. Um, I think that, say, uh, a painter like yourself, okay, illustrating a children's book. Well, maybe it's not going to be your full-on jam, but there's a whimsy and uh, there are a number of characteristics to that painting elements and dreamscapes that I think, you know, I can see some really cool illustrative bridges to illustrating a children's book or what have you. And then Definitely. we go through these things kind of like a heads up display. I have these options that I could pursue. Which ones really speak to me? Which ones maybe am I a little afraid of because I don't understand it? You know, how do I sort of balance its strategy and tactics? And managing those two might be one of the biggest, if not the biggest challenge, uh, well, overcoming inertia too, to oh, being yeah. an, an entrepreneur, which is what a living artist is, because you are the company, PMS Artwork. I am Lee Hudspeth, call it the authentic brand, the you know fellow human being who wants to push creativity out into the world, whatever you know, the business slogan is, we're trying to connect with an audience and yeah, literary, the visual arts, music, I think they tie together and kind of get embedded within each other for each individual artist. Right. Completely. Well, and for me, I know every single one of my paintings. I mean, I know, you know, we've talked about this. I've done music. I've done writing in the past, things like that, acting. Yeah. But now I consider myself primarily a visual artist. There's not one piece that I have that was not inspired by either music or and or film or literature, it's all yes. baked into there. And there's not one right. piece that I've ever created that was not done while listening to music, like never. And I can actually okay. remember and recall certain things based on uh, songs that I listen to. Like I can like listen to a song and it'll, it'll bring back a memory of creating a piece, which is really interesting. Um, okay. I know you, and we're going to get into this later, but I know you use haiku in a certain way to, find yeah. some inspiration and mindfulness, but I wanted to start at the beginning here. Sure. Uh, we always do a little bit of an origin story. I'm really interested in your evolution as a writer, but also into writing. But okay. I think maybe the best place to start is with your origin story. For and sure. I might interrupt so, you if so, something's really interesting because I don't want okay. to forget. <laughs> so don't be no, too absolutely. Uh, interruptions are, are totally cool, man. And I've thought about this because often you'll 
hear the story of a poet or a writer. I've been writing since I was into kindergarten. I was the kid that wrote a play and I had everyone in the night and prince's costumes and I was directing them. Awesome. That was not me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> where where I think it started was as a little kid, and maybe I'm dating myself here, but there was one of my first and most vivid memories is carrying around a little lunchbox sized um, 33 RPM record player. Okay. It was like nice. kind of a, and you'd open the lid and put your little, you know, red, red, Robin goes bob, bob, bobbing along. And my parents were just probably stop. Yeah, right. And I love to listen to my little 33s, man. And I would carry it around the house and I had no brothers and sisters. So that was an important part of my upbringing was music. Mm -hmm. There was music in my house, although neither of my parents were musicians, but they enjoyed music and a lot of reading to me. You know, they read a lot to me as a kid. So storytelling and the musicality and lyricism, I think, are baked into my DNA just from my early upbringing. And then it just kept going with, with church. That was a big part of my life as a teenager. It's not so now. I'm not part of a particular church or religion mm -hmm. today, agnostic Zen Buddhist, maybe. but. I love it. But listening to and doing a lot of singing in choir, I played guitar in a church band as a teenager. We actually toured Florida in a tour bus. I mean, I'm I'm not a professional musician, but I have been on in a band that toured, but it was a Southern Baptist. Oh, rock I didn't and know roll this. That's so cool. Church band, right, man? And so the cool part would be that before the music director got in on Sunday afternoons when we rehearsed, we'd be playing Jimi Hendrix songs, you know, as loud as humanly possible to stay in class. And those are And then kind of a hiatus from music in college, but after college, I got back into it seriously. And um, then. And you went to USC, correct? I went to the University of Southern California. I went to Davidson mm -hmm. in North Carolina for a year, famous school, I guess, for basketball and some other a tiny little school, like 1,200 people, and was there in my freshman year, um, took a year off, worked. Uh, saved some money and applied to USC and, and got in and came out and finished at USC. Nice. But in high school, I was the editor of the school newspaper. And in college, both at Davidson and at USC, I wrote for the newspaper. I did, I did album reviews and concert reviews. And I was a DJ at the college radio station at Davidson, the night shift. And we'd get all the imports and just play all this crazy stuff. And I don't even know. Maybe one person was listening, my my roommate, but that's all you need. Um, one yeah. So there is there are these dual threads of music and writing. And then I continued in my professional life to write, although I was a, a, trained as a computer programmer, statistician, and business admin guy, mm -hmm. did a lot of coding, ran a lot of data centers professionally, but we wrote and developed courseware and did stand-up training for companies like DG&E. So I had to learn how to teach people material and I had to write the material with my, with my business partner at the time. And it must've been good because some other people paid attention and they said, hey, do you guys want to co-write some computer help books with us? And Microsoft University said, hey, we like your coursework. Can we license it from you? So it's nonfiction, right, Preston? But it's writing, and you've got an audience. And we tried to inject humor and authenticity. Um, yes. Some of our books had titles like The Underground Guide to, I guess, Microsoft Excel, Outlook Annoyances, books like that to say, let's 
all just be on the same page here. I can convey my story to you and you can learn. And I, I honestly see a bridge there into poetry. So oh, yeah. Well, see, now you're doing kind my of job the, for me. That's the, that's the thread, I think, is trying to be authentic, mm-hmm. trying to have a sense of humility, and then knowing the message that you want to convey. Because some poetry could just be there's sort of a school of midnight journal entry poetry. Mm-hmm which is just a recitation of one's thoughts or a stream of consciousness. And I'm not going to say anything good or bad about that, but I wanted to be more of an imagist and really tell a story and use language in a magical, uplifting way, as opposed to just spilling forth my innermost private thoughts. I mean, and we've talked about this. I like to allude to things. And if I'm going to talk about depression or drug abuse or homelessness, I would try to back away from it just a little bit, you know, and couch it in a way that allows the reader to also develop their own sense of the story. I hope that makes some sense. Definitely. Yeah. You're not, you're not beating them over the head with it and telling them what to actually believe a hundred percent or how to see it. You're, you're giving them a window into it and then letting them develop their own thoughts. It's like looking at a painting, an abstract painting. You yes. want you want it to hit them on some visceral level. You want them to be engaged. But then I personally like people to come out with their own interpretation a bit. It's like you're of guiding course. them through the process a little. Right. And if people want to ask me a direct question about a particular poem, I will speak freely th- about it. There are some poets who say, you know, I'm and they're famous. And I suppose some not so famous who say, no, it's up to you. I, I have not. I think Bob Dylan is famous. He said I really can't explain these songs or where they come from. I like this whole metacognition thing. We talked yes. about this where you're paying attention. Not always. It's it's not an easy thing to do, but it's interesting and it's a way to be self-aware. And so I, I don't mind paying attention to where's this idea coming from? Mm-hmm. This poem about the crescent moon. I know the experience, but then all these other things come in and social commentary. I like looking at that and seeing where that comes from. And for writers or painters or any creatives out there listening, I find that that then also generates and inspires new ideas. Like, how did I come up with this poem? Oh, well, there's an angle I haven't thought about. Let me juxtapose this new concept and map it onto an imagistic, you know, description of something in nature. Right. So, yeah. Well, not only that, uh, maybe it gives you a little bit, of a window into yourself and your own humanity, how you work, and maybe you can develop yourself in the process a bit too. Well, and I think so. And and uh, yes, I've got you know my own internalized thoughts and feelings, and then my observations of the world around me. And I think poetry is a melding of the two, and then an expression of what I've experienced and how I've metabolized it. Right. And that's, I think, a big part of why I'm so into poetry right now, as opposed to fiction. Mm -hmm. I do want to get back into writing fiction, short stories and longer form. But I just love the lyricism and the resonating character. You know, you play a big open chord with some resonating strings on a guitar. Mm -hmm. It just floats and kind of fills the room. Okay, that's a very haiku-esque phenomenon, but I like to try and see if a non-haiku poem can somehow exhibit some of those same properties 
you know, resonate, chime, there's the prosody, the meter, the choice to rhyme or not, it, it, the words, even the punctuation. A little bit uh, maybe of riffing I'm getting a little, thrown in. Yes, maybe I'm getting a little too wonky here, but. Um, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I think that I, that stuff is really intriguing to me. And if you're not willing to think about your own process, I think a lot of that stuff is just going to pass you by. Yeah. And I think there's a false meme out there that inspiration only comes from some exogenous muse that randomly lands on your shoulder, whether you're super sad or super excited or someone almost runs you over in the crosswalk and you have an epiphany. Those are cool moments to use as the genesis for a poem or a story or a painting, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a lot to be said for just thinking about, let's say the theme is fatherhood, you know, just think about it, dwell on it, meditate on it, and then write about it. So, And also, um, if you're always waiting for the muse to strike, how often are you actually going to be inspired, right? Absolutely true. There have been some, some, again, to cite Bob Dylan, he had a period where he just says there were these songs coming through me and I can't understand it and I can't start it or stop it. And there was a period where that was very prolific. Yes. So it can happen. But I think he was also exercising, right? He was working those creative processes mm -hmm. and it just opened the gate for more to come. And who knows how much of it was really from his own. I'm sure it's him. I don't believe in some cosmological muse, but. Yeah. Uh, Those finger pointing songs, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gotta love Bob. I mean, he's a, he is a real poet too in his songwriting. I, sure. I love this stuff. And yeah. then the evolution of Bob Dylan is very interesting as well. I like when artists evolve and change. I mean, l even when he started bringing the electrical guitar into yeah. his performances a little bit. I think he did, didn't he do it like mid set one time? He started Newport off. Uh, Folk Festival. And, yeah. um, you know, the whole story about, I forget the name of the individual. I should know this story, but running around with the hatchet trying to find the, the main power cable. Yeah. It was right. He just, people were rioting and incensed. And today we look back on it. Uh, was it, yeah, like a Rolling Stone. Yeah. And, that is such an iconic song. And we say to ourselves objectively, how could you ever not be digging that? But, right. you know, so society and culture. People fear change. They get used to something and they don't want it. Maybe that's the artist. And I, I use artist very broadly here. Maybe that's actually the artist function more than anything else is to okay. be ahead of the curve and to not be bound by, you know, those restrictions like, Oh, right. getting too comfortable with one style and then, you know, getting complacent. Like we push ourselves, sure. push ourselves, grow and grow. Hopefully. I mean, ideally that's what an artist should do. And um, maybe that's what separates us because I think people are so used to whatever it is, their tribe, their political beliefs, their tribalism. Their, right. Yeah. And, um, and being able to think outside of the box or break through that and see a different perspective or see, feel art differently or listen to music differently is very sure. Fair. It is. And I think we live within the fabric of sociocultural phenomena, things that are happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, whatever that might be today, uh, yesterday and tomorrow. And so artists do, I think, tend to stand back or maybe they step forward and they're sort of uh, megaphone projecting, you know, these are some alternate ways to see what's going on, whether it's civil unrest, 
Black Lives Matter, right. transgender, you know, voting rights, abortion uh, rights, uh, and we could pick a new num- number of topics to talk about. But poets and writers are, I think, a powerful voice for observing and then deciding does something need to change? Yes. I Whether it's institutional or within us to become more, I don't like the W word, woke, right? I, I guess yeah, I would tend I to say either. just more enlightened and a little more open-minded, yes. right? To difference. We're all just, I overuse this phrase, fellow human beings. That's what I want to be. It's just another person right? going through life. I've got a perspective. What's yours? You know, can we share something? Well, that's the beautiful thing about art and writing is you've kind of taken out all of the noise, all of the tribalism, the political beliefs, and you've synthesized it down to one format and that people can maybe absorb it. And you're getting your yeah. ideas across to them in a very pure manner, which I love. I wanted to talk about incandescent visions. I'm going to bring the book out in front again. Okay. It's so funny because we don't even have, nobody's going to see this probably, but it's, it's okay, fun for me. That's cool. Doing my, I'm doing my Vanna White for anybody who's. Um, it, it's worth it, it, this is going to sound like self-promotion but i mean this sincerely please if do if, it if, fo- if folks simply take a moment to jump up on amazon and look at the book's landing page pretty easy to find if you can spell my last name yes. lee hudspeth incandescent visions it's going to pop right up and you're just going to go look at that painting it's it's very captivating and i just you don't have to do anything else. You can go on about your day. <laughs> Take a minute. <laughs> well, that's to very get up nice. There and but check out his page. That's very nice. And or I buy love the, book, the way that you package this book. But hopefully, yeah. people will look at it and be drawn in and then read. It's a it's a wonderful book. I had the opportunity to be one of the first people to actually read it, and I love this book. I wanted you to talk about it. I want you okay. to read. I'm I'm hoping we could read a poem. Maybe we can read a poem Anytime. before we talk about the book. And then sure. after we're finished talking about the book, if you want okay. to read another poem, we can do that as well before we shift on to other formats. But okay. I wanted to, while you're getting your poem ready, I wanted to talk about what was the impetus for the book. I wanted okay. to talk about all the trials and tribulations of self-publishing it, you know, all your marketing techniques, all that. I know you've won some awards. I'd like to get that out of the way uh, up front here. You were a first place sure. winner in the 2021 Firebird Book Awards uh, in two categories, yeah. poetry and philosophy, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, and man. Then, and then also a, two, a 2020 finalist in the Wishing Shelf Book Awards, and this was literary fiction. Yes, they don't have a poetry uh, genre specifically, so I'm in with a, a lot of other genres. So that's particularly precious to me because, yeah. you know, there, there's far fewer poetry books than there are sci-fi novels, young adult, romance, spy thriller. Yes. So, And I was going to say, um, see, you're so, it was so good that good you one. even got into the literary fiction award. Thanks, man. No, I, I appreciate that. And I'm always grateful and humbled by these peer-based accolades. Definitely. You know, these contests, award programs are peer-driven. Authors and publishers and the, the judges are our are peers, other, other writers. and publishing executives or whomever i'm just trying to express i'm really proud and um yeah thanks for mentioning that yeah it's amazing congratulations and thank you so before we get into the impetus for it and all that any thoughts you have on the book we'll talk about but 
Did you want sure. to read a poem just up front? I will. I'm going to read. Everybody listening, turn your textbooks to page. Page 13. So <laughs> page this, we, we all have our darlings and our favorites. This is one of my favorites. I have several. It's right at the front of the book. I'm going to read this along it, with you. Okay. And it, along with one or two others, I think exemplifies the overall intention of the book. Although the book has five chapters, each one different in its flavor and sensibility. But this Mm -hmm. poem I wrote when the idea was very nascent. Like I had a lot of self-doubt. I can't publish a poetry book. You gotta be kidding me. I've got 30, 40 poems. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Little voice, man. Hate that little voice. But I had some really inspirational experiences in in Italy, traveling with my family. Mm -hmm. We were in this little beach town called Ercolano, near Pompeii, just south of Naples. Beautiful little jewel box, seaside village with a nice hotel where you could chill and the pool and the food and the staff and the people were so friendly and engaging. And we met some people who were natives from Naples and really connected another musician composer and i'm like i'm doing this man and i walked back to the hotel room and i wrote this on the little notepad you get in a hotel room i'm getting goosebumps right now i love it this i almost want a little picture in the top corner here of that scribbled notepad that would be awesome i think i have it in a file folder somewhere i believe i kept it and so it's a nexus it's a real important pivot point where i said i'm going to get back to the u.s and I'm going to do this. Okay. Yeah, There's a story there great. too, but so it's called Exquisite Ercolano. Our roots are entwined with so many languages. I'm rooted to one, but I hear the many. As things progress, I climb to the canopy. These languages, they drift up and sing sweetly to me. They smell of the sea and magic tinged with potentiality. Grains of dust from the earth's layered intricacies circulate history, and it's okay. Swaying, the wind ushers memories to me like precious gifts. I open the package and peer inside. A smooth emerald pebble, a blue feather, an archipelago of musical notes. Aha, I say aloud. That's the way. So simple, eh? I'm greeting a nice surprise. Grand, formed, transparent. The horizon, an interior view, humility, a laughter that awakes. Intrigued, I inhale. I love it. That's beautiful. It's one of those poems that really just talk about being present, you know, capturing the present moment and everything that's swirling around in your head and subconscious and what's going out in front of you. I I love, it's almost like understanding, having, having a moment of enlightenment. Oh yes. You know, this is, you know, know, I love that. I would second that. And without a lot of woo woo, uh, going on here, I really was transformed by the kinds of welcoming people and the transforming 
moment with my family and being disconnected from the daily grind. And you're, I don't know, for me, travel, I reprioritize everything just blank slate. Yes. And I was carrying these poems in my mind and in a little satchel. And I'm like talking to, to, to these new friends and I don't know, Preston, just being welcomed and accepted as, because when you're in Italy and you can't really speak Italian, I spoke a little Italian. Sometimes that'll get you in trouble if you approach it like I'm just going to be a phrase book guy, but I was really going for the accent and trying to parse together and coherent sentences. Mm-hmm. People were like, yeah, si signore. Oh, you know, bellissimo. Non ti fretta. And you start to connect. It's visceral. And I think that that comes through. And I just felt so humbled by even being able to be there. Yes. Right. Just to have the experience and to have a family right? And my my college kids were with us and they were digging it and we were unified and it was just like, whoo. It's beautiful. And the other thing that I love about it is, you know, in the second stanza, I guess you say, if you would consider it a stanza, you say simple, eh? so simple, eh? right? I love that because it also reminds us of how easily we forget how easily we lose these moments. You have this epiphany of everything's working out, it's beautiful. And then it's yeah. like, so simple, right? But it, yet we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again. And this is, I think if I went, I, I haven't done this and I'm probably not prone to do it. Maybe someday a, a, an editor on my next book or what have you will figure this out. But I see the language and it's very imagistic and rich and poetic slash lyrical and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. i'll break off and it's like the fourth wall in tv or a movie yes and you're looking at the viewer and you're saying uh what is it so simple yeah, okay? yeah. like i'm experiencing this yeah right i know you're here with me it's this it's it is this simple yeah. and then i go back to finish the poem with a little kind of a parable vibe at the end and just a recognition that would just keep breathing man you know i, I inhale love i love oh. it i love it so that's what i was trying to accomplish and it just there you go well and i love that idea of breaking the fourth wall and and talking directly to the audience it's like a little wink at the audience yes it's great uh real quick i need to yes. um i just realized my it. air came on i'm just going to turn that off <laughs> one second okay i want good audio i'll take a sip of water Yes, do it. I got fooled because for the first time since we maybe moved here, it's been actually semi-cool. And so okay, the air, I forgot that the air was even on and it just got triggered. So apologies. Uh, I certainly couldn't hear it, but we want the audio to be uh, impeccable. (laughs) So whatever you need, my friend. As good as we can. And, you know, maybe we'll leave this in. Maybe we won't. I I like to leave weird things in. I'm probably not the whole break, but. So like the fourth talk, wall, like w- winking at the fourth right, wall. Here we exactly. Go. <laughs> I, I love to do that stuff. I love to leave the messiness of it in, you know, be as Amen. professional as possible, but leave in some messiness because that's life. So let's talk about what was the impetus for you writing this in the first place? Was it just something you always had kind of in the back of your mind, something you wanted to do, or was it like an aha moment or something in between? I think in all honesty, the idea came in two phases and the the first was right around the fall of 2013 
a difficult period in my life. My, my dad uh, had, had terminal uh, cancer. He had prostate cancer and it uh, came back from a long remission and oh, man. Uh, was not doing that well in the, in the fall of 2013. So something, I don't remember exactly what, but prompted me to write myself a letter, an honest letter, the kind you say, I'm going to burn this if I don't, you know, but I'm going to write this freaking letter and I'm going to be no holds barred. What do I want to do? You know, I've had 30 years on the corporate hamster wheel, man, and great, great experiences. So I don't want to denigrate my prior vocational experiences or accomplishments, but I was ready for, uh, there's a phrase for it, second gear, second shift, I'm, I'm forgetting and fumbling. But to the point, the letter was, Lee, what do you want to do? What, what, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. You've saved money. You can you can you can take a break from working if you want to. And in that letter was the idea to do more creative writing and to record some original songs in a professional recording studio, mm-hmm. and a lot of other stuff. Travel, uh, do you know, backcountry helicopter snowboarding, stuff like that. Not quite a bucket list, but just what do you want to do? And so to get to the point. That was the genesis, I think. And the key being, Preston, I acted on the letter. I didn't just put it away in a drawer or burn it. It right. was like my manifesto. Right. And, and it took some time. You know, maybe there are some people listening who have thrown the switch from off to on with their creativity. And the next thing you know, a month later, they have a best-selling sci-fi novella. I don't know. But it took me some time to get my head wrapped around creative writing, the music, which is the priority. How does this get paced? Is it me? Do I collaborate with others? Lots of fascinating and fun choices to make. But I acted on my own recognition of I wanted to be more creative and a little less process, administrative, building things through a company, helping you know people write software, whatever. <clears throat> then, so that's 2013, fast forward to the trip in 2017 uh, or 18, I forget. And I had accumulated enough mass of poems uh, and just that poolside conversation with my friend, like, wow, you know, I could do it. I could take these poems. He may have even said something to the effect of, so is this a book? But man, that poem then is an absolute pivot point and an exemplification of taking yourself seriously and just one little step at a time, man. It's, you're building it up. You, you can't eat the elephant in, in one bite. It's just not possible. I highly recommend that anyone listening who's thinking about starting a creative venture or maybe you're struggling, just take a step back. Or taking your creative venture to the next level. To the next level. You've you've got a lot done, right? You're in a position where you can go forward. And you know, you just have to take that next step. And it can be a small step. And they accrue and build up to this resonant, crystalline, beautiful thing. And it keeps progressing like that way. Don't you find that in your practice? Oh, definitely. And I think we've also talked about this in the past. And it's so true. And so many people will have this moment where they have this recognition, like, I want to change. I want to do yeah. this. Even 
something as stupid as a new year's resolution, you know, I really have to change this in my life. It's not stupid, but my point is, is hardly anybody yes. through on the new year's resolution. It can be similar with this, you know, I, Oh, I want to do this and you can mean it in the moment, but taking the, that step, taking that first step, following it up with a second step, getting that momentum going. That's so yes. important. And, you know, so many people talk the talk, but they don't, you know, walk the walk and you did. And look at you now. I mean, I'm sure looking uh, back after all of this, you've recorded the album, you did your EP, you know, you've got this yeah. book out. It's won some awards. You're doing haiku. Now you're establishing a presence online with your writing. Um, yes. And now looking back, I'm, I'm sure when you first wrote that manifesto, even you probably, even in your wildest dreams, you might've, it might've pictured something like what you're doing right now, which is great. I could see kind of off in the shadows, this glimmering. I see it in a cinematographical way. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> in technical. Um, yes. And yet it doesn't really become real until you do engage and, and do the things that you just mentioned step by step. And there is a lot of, I don't know where this programming comes from when we're kids, society, you know, kindergarten man. I, I don't know. I haven't been able to figure it out. But these tape loops of the inner critic, the negative self-talk, don't do it. You're going to, you know, you're a computer scientist, not a poet, man. Right. Yep. I just get so infuriated with myself in that process. and. I'm a little bit shy about self-promotion, but I have made a lot of progress in being a writer and a poet. And I'm proud of that. You know, yeah. I mean, I wrote down. Uh, hey, I'm proud of you. So you should be proud of yourself. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> I, I tried to figure out, could I put on an index card, the, the discrete things that in a podcast setting you could rattle off and people would be listening like, oh, you know, yeah. it's too yeah. long. 19 specific notable things that I had to do mm -hmm. to get to where I am today, right? Over the last two years, 19, we can't, I can't utter or, you know, um, speak the 19. I can just say, I put a lot of work in a lot a of lot. work. Yeah. And it's the passion because I do want an expanding radius of an audience. I would like to connect with more people. And that's, been some of the more uh, profound experiences I've had is from random readers or reviewers. They talk to you or they write something in a review or, or a note, a private note, and you're like, they get it. They, they, they get, get it. that You've poem. affected that person. Yeah. You got it. My beta readers got it. Now we go to the next level out. Okay. It's family yeah. and friends. And then the next level out is people that, oh, you're an award-winning poet. I think I'm going to go check out your book, right? Or, oh, I'm doing these poetry readings or all oh, this the Olympic Press invited me to an invitation-only poetry reading that gets recorded. And it's all this stuff is like stacking, stacking on top, like the framing of a house. Yes. And I just think it's important to sometimes take stock of that. So when I say 19, I'm, I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing, but you'll get there, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about in your too, practice. It, it's a, it's a <laughs> constant like cycle of moving the goalpost forward, and having, and having gratitude, you know, like, yes. oh, look what I've accomplished. Okay, now I got to accomplish this. Oh, look what I've accomplished. And now I got to accomplish this. You know, it's just <laughs> constantly going. And, and that might sound like being stuck in a hamster wheel or, or something, but no, it's just a good, healthy balance. Like we're here to 
have purpose to achieve yeah. things, to achieve goals, but it's also very important to stop, take stock, look back, yeah. have some gratitude for where you are and be like, holy shit, look at what I've achieved. It's amazing. Like I'm sure when you were doing all this stuff, it didn't feel like you were doing much. Like, right. like getting getting lost, like you always say, like the minutia, right? Getting lost in the minutia of doing one of these tasks can feel, yeah. oh my God, it can feel like it's taking forever. But then when Daunting. you look back, stacking those up, like you're saying, That's it's right. like, oh my God, I can't believe how much I've I've accomplished. You're so right. And I mean, I see it in your practice, your your work, your creative output, where you're multidimensional and you're giving back and you're mentoring as well as being an accomplished painter an artist. And I think that that does, it does grow and expand. And the reason I would say it, it, I agree with you, it's not like a hamster wheel in this creative modality. It's like, it's this organic fractal phenomenon. It's just emergent. Mm -hmm. And if you keep being curious and interested, I mean, I'm very interested in a lot of things. I cannot accomplish them all simultaneously. So I really do believe in sort of micro-focus. Yes. I think Tiger Woods and many other people, sports psychologists have talked about setting micro goals. You know, yeah. I am going to make this putt, man. I am going to make it. It's it's circling right to left, 20-foot putt. I am making it. <laughs> right. Okay. I am going to publish this book. And you just break it down. And, and if, uh, But if you're looking at all 18 holes and going like, I got to do this and this on this hole. And, oh, wow. and then there's this one coming up that's like a four par. And then, oh, I got to hit, you know, I got to hit this one 400 yards. You know, you're going to get lost in that. It's going to yeah. be overwhelming. But if you take it in small steps and baby steps, it's accomplishable. I, I think so. And um, and it's not to say it's hard. It's, I, it's easy. Like, obviously, the things you've accomplished, somebody could do exactly what you did and maybe not get the same result. But you're not going to get yeah. any result if you don't try that. Yes. If you don't swing the bat, there won't be an unforced error. There won't be a foul. There won't be a home run. There won't yes. be a bunt, man. Why even go up to the batter's box? And maybe that's a bit of a tired metaphor or overused. Because I do get a little torqued when you know a lot of pundits or life coach-esque folks will say, swing for the fences, swing for the fences. And I get it. We all want to be inspired. And I'm not going to mention any names, okay, in terms of who those pundits are. I think we all have them in our lives. People mm -hmm. will go, you know, so-and-so said, what? Uh, I better do that. Well, uh, maybe, you know, but every single thing you do in your life is not going to be a home run. Right. All I wanted to do was send out the submissions to the journals that would be have a, a sensibility for my writing as opposed to just shotgunning some blanket. You know, there's a lot of ways to do things, but the way I chose did involve thinking and again, tactics as an implementation of the strategy. Yeah. The strategy is bigger audience. I, I don't have the audience of prestigious literary journals and I'm now in nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I did it, but it took, man, if I came up with a man hour estimate for what that costs, you know, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of but time. But I learned and I made contacts, friends with editors and associate editors and fellow poets. And now I'm invited to these invitation only gigs. And it's like, hey, there is an osmotic, you know, emergent thing going on here.
And in the grand scheme of things, it didn't take that long. It just took a lot of moments of intense focus. And, and, you know, like you said, breaking it down, taking this step, being present on this stage, giving that stage your all, maybe taking a step back to take a breather, hit the next stage, keep going. They just, they, they really do add up. Like, that's why I tell people, even though I'm not a huge write it down list goal person, my wife uh-huh. always would tell me that the one thing that I found extremely valuable about that is yes, of course you're getting it out of your brain. You're putting it on paper where you can see it again. But the right. thing that was the most satisfying for me was checking them off, looking oh, back and going, wow, I hit eight out of 10 of these things. And orgasmic. Yeah. Right. No. And that's, and that is, that's amazing because what you're doing too, is you're giving yourself a win by just playing like, so example, for example, maybe you didn't get in this literary journal, but if you made your goal to submit to 10 of them or to a hundred of them, and you do submit to a hundred of them, even if you don't get a response, you accomplish that goal. You put that out there and that feels good in and of itself. Now, hopefully somebody's going to answer you. Right. But yeah, I think that's, that's something that, kind of keeps you going. I think when you're swinging for the fences, like you said all the time, it's really easy to be let down. You're right. It's the, the emotional roller coaster would be, at least for me, maybe there are some people who could absorb the high highs and the low lows of, oh my God, another rejection or, yeah. oh my God, I've got to send out another submission. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And what I want to put a pin in here is, is, is to tag onto what you were saying once I figured out the ecosystem of submitting to a literary journal that specializes in poetry, in particular haiku or sendryu, I've got a template for submitting to short story and yes. longer form poetry journals. And I already have an established CV. My bio includes a list now that I have to pare down because it's too long to fit in the 60 word bio constraint for the yeah. submission. So it's no longer daunting. It's mm-hmm. become I'm habituated and comfortable and very efficient at submitting. So now I apply that to another ecosystem, which is the journals that are open to all forms of poetry, not just say haiku, three line, you know, short form. Yes. And so I wanted to reinforce for people listening, because I heard myself say daunting, oh my God. Yes, I put the time in, elbow grease, and you know what? Then I built on top of it, and I took notes. And someday if I want to write a book about how to be a successful self-published poet or author, the material is there, the knowledge, and I can help mentor people. And I I like to do that, too. I know you do the same thing. Oh, yeah, and that's a great point. It's funny. I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't think I've actually articulated that on the podcast even. And that is that it gets easier as you go. Because yes. so many things for me too, the first time I submitted to a gallery was daunting. The first time I tried to put my resume together and compile everything, it was daunting. The first time, you know, anything, whatever you want to say, there's, there's so I could list off hundreds of things. But once you've done it, once you have that file on your computer, or once you have that experience and you've, and you've you know, taken that first step, it's right. so much easier the second time. And you do have the template. And you have like the mental template too. <laughs> so it makes it yeah. much easier. It's building blocks. It's acquiring knowledge. This kind of goes back to metacognition. Mm-hmm. If you just laboriously grind through the minutia of submitting to journals and don't pay attention, 
to the processor, keep some notes. You don't have to be maybe as fastidious as you or me. It's up to the individual. But I'm telling you, you're going to reap huge rewards from keeping track. You know, what about that one editor who wrote me, I think, and she said, Lee, man, so close. Like, there's, I'm sorry, there's not always a fit. It's not about your poetry. It's about maybe I've got the theme. And there was this one, this one was so close. Uh, you know, please submit next open call. I was high on life for a week, right? And I know yeah. circumstantial happiness, there's dangers to that too, but it told me. No, but it's a little win. And the black box became a little less opaque. Yes. Oh, there's human beings behind these editor emails and they really are reading and they really do understand this is my heart and soul, you know. That's important. Submitting. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Because you have this it, image in your head, even as like an actor and you're submitting your uh, your headshot and resume to a company or like to a casting agency or whatever, you just have this picture and they've shown it in movies where they just take them, they either don't open it or they throw them directly into the trash. And no, it's really nice to have some feedback from people. Well, it, it is. And you mentioned mentoring. So I, I think in that, you know, you know, I listen to your podcast um, religiously, I think talking about mentoring and then this other topic of building blocks and how it does get um, incrementally easier mm -hmm. to accomplish the next task that might even be have more volume to it or more complexity, but it rests on a foundation that's solid. Yes. Right. Cause you understand the underpinnings of the ecosystem, whether it's online art gallery submissions, whether it's how to maximize your sales at a local um, art fair mm -hmm. or an open air market, you know, I, I'm not in your field, so I might be using terms that are <laughs> no, a little well. silly, okay? But I'm going to go to a farmer's market and sell some poetry books. Damn, yeah. man, you know, why not? Yeah. Uh, Seriously. Yeah, and sometimes it's that little outside-the-box thinking or the little tweak that makes all the difference. But I also wanted to kind of underline something else you said just for any okay. artist here listening, painter, uh, visual artist, whatever. Absolutely. If you're doing online art marketplaces, it goes for... For example, it's really tough. You think, oh, you're on what? Eight art marketplaces. How do you write up all the description and the, you know, the, the weight and the shipping, every little yes. nuance detail that goes with each piece. Well, what happens is you get a template, you do it on one and then you yes. copy and paste and you've got it and it becomes easier and easier as you go. So you're cataloging sure. your work. It's always going to be there. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of what you're saying as well. Yeah, and you've got you've gotten. I mean, reason for people to continue to come back to your podcast. I know you have an, at least one episode on just how to ship. It's like, oh yeah, I listen to it. I'm a writer. I'm not a painter, and I listen to it because it's a process. And it was all. It's always interesting to to me to kind of look behind the red curtain and see yes. the reality of it. And go, ah, that's what part of his daily life is like. Got to yeah. package them and. Make absolutely sure they're not damaged. And, yeah. you know, the way you interact with the shipper and the way you interact with the collector, mm -hmm. I think you and I have talked anecdotally before, yes. but I've had exchanges come back to me from an editor where there was a rejection. And I just always send a thank you note. Like, mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you told me explicitly. Some journals may not even ever tell you. They're in a minority, okay? But thank you for being professional and the way you phrased, you know, yes, I, I will be submitting to you in the future and just, you know, thank you. And then they'll write back and say, 
I haven't gotten a lot, you know, email yeah. like this in a long time. It Isn't really makes my job easier because I don't like telling people there wasn't a fit this time. It's not that your latest painting, Preston, isn't really a good painting. It may be that that gallery. It wasn't right thematically. On that day or for that month. And they, and if you either think it and don't reconnect or assume that the rejection is literally a rejection of your work, yes, you're going to miss out on a lot of incremental future opportunities. So delayed gratification and persistence, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're preaching to the choir here, man, but that stuff is so important for us. No, it's, it, it, it requires constant repetition because yeah. people, you don't know how many times, like I work with Shockbox. Well, first of all, you're getting your foot in the door. These people remember that stuff. They remember the professionalism. They right. remember how they felt when they got that letter from you. And the next time you send to them, I'm sorry, but there's a higher probability that they're going to like your work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it's like yeah. a, a little hack or something. I'm not saying that, but no. it's just prof- being professional and being a human being goes a long way. We get stuff at Shockbox where we're doing a competition and somebody will submit, and you've got like five jurors looking at a piece, right? right? And right. maybe this person didn't honor the theme of the show or whatever it was. Okay. And it's just based on that alone, it didn't make it. We've had people yeah. who write in and go, fuck Shockbox. Like, huh, I should have known better to, to submit to Shockbox. And it's like, you know what's going to happen, bud? We oh. liked your work. You don't even know that. But we actually liked your work and we're looking forward to you submitting again. But now you've just burned a bridge because you're unprofessional. So there's yeah. that side of it, too. Um, so I think that's really good that you're doing that. And it's effective, too. Well, and I think and I think persistence here again, we could apply this. So it could be, you know, let, let's say you wanted to get into painting murals or let's say you wanted to, you know, pick a, a painting driven um, niche that you would like to explore. If you apply those same principles, like I had a, a, an editor where the first response was just a little bit genericized, like, thank you for your submission. You know, we're going to take a pass this time. Mm-hmm. And I was undeterred. So I'm like, okay, man, I'm going to recheck the sensibility on this journal. I, I, and I had a realization. What I had submitted in retrospect probably wasn't really, like I can see where this editor is coming from, okay? Mm-hmm. So I just put all of my energy into submitting. I usually, it's usually about five or 10 haiku per sub- submission for shorter poems maybe like one to five for longer, modern verse. And he wrote back and said, you know what? Um, this time, you know, I'm open to a dialogue. And I'm like, okay, Great. here we go. Mm-hmm. And we had a simple, you know, I said, okay, tell me what you think. And I'm going to take notes and I'm going to grow. And I'm a person who's interested in mastering the craft and I'm mm-hmm. humble. I can take some oh, criticism. Yeah. And I got this beautiful instructive email that I'll keep forever because it's someone who's seen tens of thousands of submissions, I'm sure. Yes. And is already a published accolade, you know, <laughs> well-respected poet. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. A lot. That, that's so, a great lesson for anybody you, listening. You know, like you're a painter and you're trying to interface with the gallery owner. Yeah, man, maybe the gallery owner We'll have a dialogue with you. Go to the next show that don't go to the show you didn't get into. Yes. And wait right. for a moment to say, hey, Mike, Collins, hey, hey, Preston, 
you know, you remember me. I'm so stoked to be here and I'm seeing all the energy and like, man, do you, what do you think? Is what like, and of course you're going to say, we like your work. Yeah. And then no, you're going to feel better too. You're not going to feel like you were just blindly rejected. They hated your work. They're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember right. this piece. This was great. We loved it. It just, it just didn't fit, you know, with the theme completely. If you would have just done, we've had artists who've submitted and then they've learned the sensibility that Shockbox has. There you go. And then they've, they've created work more in that vein and they've gotten in. So those are yeah. people who are doing what you're doing. They're taking notes. They're learning from the process. Um, I did want to talk to you about, yeah. well, we'll get into, um, you know, publishing and, and self-publishing and all that, but I do okay. want you to read one more poem from this book. Okay. But sure. We're about an hour in and let's take a quick tea break if you don't mind. All right. And I'm going to save this I because I just want to make sure we've got it locked down and then I'll send sure. you another invite if you don't mind. Another invite. Okay. So just you go ahead and bounce me out and then I'll just look for an email. Yeah. I'll send you an email. Perfect. We should be good. I don't know. Back that must in be black. A, must be a default with my Zoom settings. Ugh. Hoo-ah. <clears throat> Hoo-ah. <laughs> All right. Oh, don't, I, even, I, don't even worry about it. We I can made, mime the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> I made a mental note as we took a break. I think it's a, a good thing for your audience for us to underscore that, you know, we're not here to do some deep dive into literary techniques. We're trying, you and I are trying to take a deep dive into the creative process and the mindset um, yes. you know, the strategies, the tactics, and much, if not all of what we've talked about so far, and we'll talk about, I, I sincerely hope applies equally to a painter, a sculptor, a For photographer, sure. dancer, poet. And, you know, it, we were talking about the experiences with trying to get into a gallery show, or in my case, it's getting published by a literary journal. And, Maybe we would stumble, have stumbled onto this topic as we continue to talk, Preston, but freeing oneself to make mistakes, but this has been one of the hard things for me personally. I did this uh, invite-only poetry reading not too long ago, and mm-hmm. pretty famous, uh, a novelist and a poet, very highly respected gal, and I was one of several people honored and, and humbled by being asked to read some of her work. Oh, wow. And I got assigned a piece that was about 9-11, and I couldn't get through it. I mean, I broke down yeah. midway. One of the stanzas hit me. I had to do the quivering voice. You know, just it was a broken up reading. It was, a, it was an impassioned and an authentic reading. Yeah. And then at the end, I really lost it. And the ending, I can't say it. I, I would might even start crying right now. It was a very powerful poem. And mm-hmm. whoo, and everybody was just like, because all the other poems were, well, they were in a, 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 a topics that perhaps weren't quite, you know, horrific death of thousands of people. There was yes. impact, man. And the shared and was, experience of that, too. But I was so embarrassed. You know, I really had rehearsed and I wanted it to be a good reading and mm-hmm. I hadn't lost it in the prep, in the rehearsal. And I had, and, and everyone said, Lee, oh my God, you know, what a, just thank you. You know, yeah. let it go, let it go. And I talked to the promoter afterwards. He said, dude, just, that was not a mistake. You know, no. everybody 
was crying. That probably and enhanced it. Perhaps, but I beat myself up for it for a couple of days. And and I'm just wanting to share with people, don't do that. You know, if you yeah. make a mistake and I can't think of an analog, maybe you can, and, and you know, you're staying at a gallery and you've got a piece in a show and you say something stupid or you spill your coffee on on some venture capitalist that might be a collector. <laughs> or some wine. <laughs> what are you gonna do, man? You know, we're just people. That's and true. I did I did my best and it it touched me. But I will also and, say, Lee, like I that's arguably not a mistake to be so into a reading and so affected by it that you let let your emotions go come out. Like I think personally, mm, I would appreciate okay. that. I would appreciate that. Um, maybe there's some, maybe there's some literary people who are going to, you know, thumb their, thumb their nose at you or something and be like, you should never break down in a reading. But I, I yeah. completely disagree with that. I'm all about showing your emotions. Mm. So, well, I appreciate that. I mean, to this day, I can't, I haven't gone back and watched, I, I need to, but the poet herself was very appreciative. And so I, oh, good. I just thought that that would be an anecdote to allow people because there's there's small mistakes and there's mistakes that are perhaps are a bit larger and when you can't finish reading a poem and then you, you you finally get it together and you get the last two lines out and then you're just like you know <laughs> done man i you know that uh jack black had an interesting interview where he talked about doing an elliot smith uh cover at a oh my god i love Smith. he said it took him eight he said, I just told the audience, man, I'm going to get it. I'm sorry. And he kept forgetting the lines in the second verse or something. I, I forget this, the song. And he said it meant so much to him to be invited. And he felt so bad. And Elliot's family members were there. But he said, I, and I just did it because I had to do it. Yes. And you have to accept these. I mean, man, it's just part of living. So, okay. Can I uh, say uh, something, though? You know, please. and not to make you feel better. Hopefully it does make you feel better too. But those are the moments that we remember. Like nobody's going to remember the other people who read the other poems and didn't have any emotional value to them or didn't resonate with them. They're going to remember Lee, who was so into reading this poem that he showed his humanity during the reading and really affected people. They're going to remember Jack Black having to do the song eight times because yes. he was so into it, you know, right. that he was having a hard time. And he wanted to honor the memory of Elliot Smith. I love Elliot Smith. Like I, I get chills. Oh, just man. About it. Like he's one of my favorite musicians of all time. Absolutely. He's yes. so much, so many of my older paintings, my, my personal, like uh, pop surrealist pieces. I was listening to Elliot Smith when I painted those. Like, okay, we got to have a side conversation. We got to have a side conversation. I am a huge Elliot Smith. I've got two Elliot Smith paintings that I've done. One of them I actually painted over, but I have one that's that's still. uh, We'll talk. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk. But But those are the things that people remember. So, so I think it's okay. Thank you, you. thank you, Preston. And um, yeah, I know. And and he would sometimes forget lines, and people in the audience would just call them out. Yeah. Talk about a connection. And just yes. being authentic and human, yeah, you know, maybe if you're performing something uh, at, at at the White House and you really want to be, you do want to. Perfection is is sure. it's a double edged sword, right, Preston? It mm-hmm. it is the thing that differentiates perhaps a, an artist of the caliber who could perform flawlessly 
in front of, you know, Madison Square Garden. Now, I know today there's teleprompters running the lyrics, and so there are cheat sheets that most of us probably aren't aware of as the consumer of the performance. Yes. But on the other hand, many of those performers could literally sit down and off the cuff in your or my living room perform 20 or 30 songs, all the chord changes, all the arrangement subtleties and the lyrics and the emotional content. I mean, that's admirable. And it's something yes. that we enjoy experiencing. But when one of those people make a mistake, I do always view it as an embellishment and an, and an extension of their humanity, not as something to deride or, you know, you see these videos on YouTube. I mean, don't people have better things to do with their time than compilations of people failing? That, in, that just infuriates me. I'm not into that shit. Oh, yeah. Me neither. Um, it's the arena quote, right? The credit yeah. goes to those who are in the arena, you know, yeah. with the mud and blood and sweat, you know, all that stuff. I can't remember the exact quote, but um, you're right. You, I, I you, love you, it. And, you know, those are just naysayers. Those are people who didn't have the guts to do it themselves. So let them have their little moment. They're, they're not happy people and that's fine. But I think, you know, taking that mistake in quotes and air quotes a step further, so many yeah. of the best paintings ever created were because of embracing the happy accident. So if okay. you're saying there's something flawed in making a mistake, then we wouldn't have some of the best pieces of visual art in history. Okay. You know, yes. it's true because the the person embraced the mistake, took it in a different direction. I know you're a philosophy guy. It's almost yeah. like the obstacle is the way, right? What what has become in front of your path is what you use. This is now the new direction. This is what you have to overcome. And sometimes great yes. things come out of that. Well, yeah, because you do have to interact with that obstacle and that yeah. moment. And since I fight a personal fight or struggle or whatever we want to call it, dynamic with perfectionism, mm -hmm. I try to learn from that struggle. It, it gets in my way sometimes. And other times I use it to my advantage. It's yes. a, it, it can be a weapon that I wield, you know, tactically, and, and sometimes it'll turn on me. Yeah. Um, but I think for anybody listening, you know, if you're creative, it is absolutely essential to aspire to do your best. Definitely. Sometimes even in the small things, it could be maybe my website, I really wanted to resonate and not just be something I threw together, just to say I have an author website. We could go through countless examples, you know, you, 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 you then don't perhaps, I didn't become an HTML or a JavaScript coder, right? I'm not out consulting on web design, but I'm like, it's got to have a vibe. It's got to have a sensibility. It's got to be me. Yes. And, and so that aspect of perfectionism and a desire to represent my brand is a good thing. Maybe Definitely. overly focused where I might beat myself up over a hiccup during a reading. Is perhaps not as counterproductive, but you've you've turned me around now, so I'm I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm good. all good. I've served my purpose then. But I oh, love Jedi I, Master. Yeah. There is no mistake. But you know, with coding and all that, perfection does matter. It does. I mean, Although, and I can man, I gotta tell you, I have seen some real shit code before with no yeah. comments and no organization. So there's there's a spectrum on all of this stuff. It's sort of like that. I think that's a bit why I get a little irked with the whole life coach or life psychology that 
industry because it's like not nah, you know man it's you're over don't put us into a box yes and i know we have to sometimes simplify our message and i'm gonna do it i mean at the end of the podcast if you'll let me i've got this like one paragraph manifesto for someone who's just really struggling with getting started right okay. oh i love it writing so i know what simplification and mm-hmm. clarification mean but it's like don't be telling me my whole life has to be judged by these. Um, in fact, I want to ask you impromptu. What's this thing about 40%? Like I ran across this quote, like most people stop a goal at 40% accomplishment. Have you heard this theme? It sounds, okay, kind, of so, like, it sounds kind of like the uh, New Year's Eve resolution thing where it's like after two weeks, I think it's like 75% of people have already given up on their New Year's resolution. But it's weird because how do you measure these things? You know, yeah. who I mean, are people like, I guess they're polling people, but oh, I mean, how do you know? I think, I how think do you know people are being double. honest about it too, right? Right. So, I don't think it's a real social psychology, empirically driven academic yeah. study thing. It's right. just something I heard on, a, on an interview about mindfulness and mm-hmm. setting goals and achieving them. And in this case, it was a pretty radical goal guy was going to climb Everest and do all these other climbs in a span of time to earn some accolade and uh, didn't really have the expertise. So I had to self-train and self-motivate. What I think I was wanting to focus on there was these notions that there are metrics by which Mm. you as a painter or I as a writer have to perform or accomplish. No, you're your own yardstick. Definitely. Your own yardstick. And you can set the metrics and I would fight tooth and nail against anybody that tries to say you Preston have accomplished or not, or Lee, you have, or have not. And you know, you're not meeting some, no, 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 no. That stuff. You, it's gotta be self-emergent. Yeah. I'm going to contradict myself here a little bit because okay. I think the only times I've really run into problems in my artistic career, when I believed something, somebody told me you have to do um, okay. like a coach or a book that I've read, you know, some uh, quote unquote expert, you know, who says you have to do this. And if you want to get your start and you got to work in galleries and you got to work your way up and da, da, da. that is one path, that but is. it's not the path. That's one of the biggest things that I think. And I think if you're a coach and if you're doing something even like this podcast or you with your blog and mentoring people, it's important to give people your path, what, what worked for you and then say, look, yes. this might not work for you at all. And, and then give them other uh, options, give them different paths to look into and encourage them to find their own path even. But at least if they know right. what's out there, they'll get an idea of how hard they have to work and certain things yeah. that they have to implement. Yeah. So I, I do have a problem when somebody comes out and says like, I have the one path. If you, if you, all you have to do is buy my book and you'll discover yeah. you know, the one size fits all fast track to becoming a, a successful artist. And, and maybe some of that ties into FOMO as well. Sure. And, um, you know, you and I have spoken off camera and we can talk now a little bit. I mean, social media sets a standard by which no one can accomplish anything. It's just, it's all noise. And even the people who are accomplishing cool. it haven't accomplished it. <laughs> it's like, I mean, right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't mean, I don't mean like if you're looking at a celebrity's account or whatever, they haven't accomplished the things that they're showing, but there are people who stage their Instagram accounts to make it look like, you know, it's the highlight reel. Everything that they're I doing. Just, I, I was just seeing whether it was New York Times or a Twitter feed or something about Richard Branson riding his bicycle up to take the Virgin Galactic flight. And it was actually film that was shot two weeks before. And he really didn't ride his bike right up that day for that flight. And right. 
okay, I get both sides, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. okay, I don't want to be, I'm not going to pick on Mr. Branson. I don't want to be someone who's having to curate my life to that level. It's like NFW man. No, I'm going to yeah. ride my bike or not. It's like, who cares? Yeah. Um, I'm a real libertarian about that stuff. And I think that it's easy to get caught up in the trap of that whole, what have you done for me lately thing mm-hmm. on social media? Like what your audience and have I posted such and such? I think it's, it's a tool and we need to use it wisely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's good also a trap. Come from it. It's it a can be. A trap, and yeah. you, you've had some good advice, which is, uh, I see I'm paying attention, Preston. Uh, <laughs> try to go up on social media when you've just got something accomplished. It might not even be a social media postable thing, but you just yeah. you just ripped off that ripped off, meaning sent off the, the your your fourth submission of the day. You got ten to you know six to go to make ten and take a break and make sure my homies are doing good and yeah. maybe I'll post something. But have a sense of accomplishment and because there's just so much noise and curation up there. And I think a lot of it is just patina. It is. Oh, completely patina, is. bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's easy to fall into that trap and, and just to feel bad. I think, I think a lot of people who are using social media, it's actually having the negative, the, the opposite effect of what they're wanting to do. It's like, this is a way for me to showcase my art, but a lot of okay. people get on there and they just feel bad about themselves. And that's people who are not like, I understand being a teenage kid, or like a teenage girl, you're getting on there and yeah. you're, everybody's using these filters and, you know, they don't even really want to portray themselves how they actually look. And I understand right. that being very negative, obviously. But if you're using this as a tool, as an artist, even like you're just saying, this is just going to be for my business and I'm going to go out there and yeah. showcase my work. It can have the same effect. And if you're not going out there with something that you've accomplished or something you're feeling good about that you're sharing and you just come on there to see what's going on. Like I've had that happen. I have it happen probably three times a week still where I go on there and I just feel like shit. And I'm like, yeah, I have to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, I just didn't, I didn't go into it with the right mindset. You know, I need to limit my time. I didn't take my own advice, but yeah, it, it's, it's a tricky thing. I don't know where we're headed with social media. I don't, but- I don't either, but I, I do know that some of the, the axioms or the tenets that, that we, the heuristics we've been talking about on the show you know, building blocks and curation and being uh, curation in the sense of when you present one of your works on Instagram, it's well considered and well articulated. Okay. And both the visual and the hashtags and the caption that what we would publicists would call the copy text. Yes. I see a lot of bad posts. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm, it, 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 it disinterests me, but I'm drawn to yours and those of others in the whole Shockbox family mm-hmm. because they're presented well and thought is given to, you know, we must, I, I think good advice for any creative man, you've got to think about this stuff and not be so laissez-faire that you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I want to ask you, it completely makes sense. And you sparked one of my questions I was going to ask you a little bit later, but now's a good time to jump into it. I know that you have been using Twitter uh, recently, and and I know you have really grown your account there and you found literary groups that have been very helpful for you. Uh, Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm the guy who went from one follower 
uh, before my book launch, my, my wife, God bless her, Liz, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've now got 3,300 um, followers. Shout out to Liz. And there are two communities, uh, writing and poetry specific, <clears throat> and then other sub-communities. But no trolling, no weird stuff, just straight ahead. What's happening today? You know, you can dive in or not. And mm-hmm. I just find it as an engaging way to meet like-minded people who, you know, hashtags are an easy way to sort of navigate. And uh, it's like walking, you know, your cocktail party and one group might be talking about the NFL and another group might be t- talking about um, how much they like the Netflix, you know, Longmire show as, a, mm-hmm. as an expression of existentialism, <laughs> an iconic uh, TV culture, whatever. And you pick your, where do you want to go, right? Or you want to just play darts. And on Twitter, you can do that. I've just been fortunate, no trolling, no negativity. It has been a way to meet new people. So yeah, I think that for some reason it just clicked for me, that particular medium. Would you recommend yeah. it for aspiring writers? Absolutely. And, and if you would, hashtag, is there any advice hashtag, you can give? So sorry, I spoke over you. Oh, no, don't even worry about it. The hashtag is writing community. Mm-hmm. Okay writing community and hashtag poetry community instant two three four hundred people answer a question if you've got a question about any aspect of writing poetry you're going to get you know technically savvy support and emotionally savvy and genuine support super easy way to meet people and develop some traction if you will mm-hmm. right up there within those two communities in particular. Yeah. That's great. And just like we're talking about with everything else, I'm sure there's, you got to strike a balance, right? Because I, there are people who seem like they spend their entire day on these, like oh. Clubhouse, for example, they spend their entire day on there. And that's great. You can absorb a lot of information, but if you're just constantly absorbing and then there's yes. no output, you're not really getting anything out of it. Right. I get a little twitchy and then I know it's time to move on. So, yeah, you know, what's the goal? Is the goal to, to meet some people that publish in a particular place or space or style? Or is it to, you know, just thank people for having retweeted? You know, there's mm-hmm. different things that can come up organically. And you don't have to participate in every single follow for follow or follow back, shout out slash tag train. You know, there, these ecosystems develop all of these little processes i know you know what i'm talking about and oh yeah there's will too you just have to be tactical yes. and and when you meet somebody it's like to me a dm is just verbose. like i just don't go there mm-hmm. and that has served me well other people are open to them but ask me a question do it publicly i'd prefer mm-hmm. on occasion okay a dm but but you know, you, you got to be savvy and mindful and respectful of the vibe, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like on Instagram, I'll see this all the time with both music, like someone drops a new song or you drop a new piece of art and I'll see these, they're saying DM to this yeah, um, handle and I'm like, not again, you know. What, oh, it's become like, like a virus. Yeah. It's like getting direct mail in your in your postal box or spam in your inbox. And it's just like, okay, well, that's going to happen. More noise, right? You have to grind through. but More noise, yeah. Well, and also I get a lot of, you know, Instagram is different from Twitter, but I get a lot yes. of people who will reach out on Instagram and DM me about stuff. And 
I love it. I encourage it, but there are times where I'm just too busy to answer. And sometimes it's like a thing where like I've done a whole podcast episode about this topic and I'm like, it sounds like self-promotion, but I'm like, well, actually just, I can give you more information. I know. Listen to this episode, you know? Yes. And and by the way, for anyone listening, I, I'm open. People can email me. You can DM mm-hmm. me on, on IG or Twitter. It's totally fine. Or get a hold of me through my website. I respond to any incoming request. It's just, as a matter of course, most of my dialogue up on Twitter is public. Um, yes. And then I'll switch to email because that's just a more conducive medium to like having a long philosophical discussion or solving a problem about why am I stuck, you know, in my submittal to KDP? Why can't I get my people back, you know, uh, InDesign file to go through? Can you help me? Yes. I'd be happy to help somebody do, you know, yeah. Well, I know we put a big pin in this one earlier, but okay. did you want to read? one more poem from the book sure. or do you want to shift into haiku? Cause we're going to shift into that next. Why don't we, you know what? I'm going to make you the decision decide. for you. Read it. Read it. Okay. <laughs> read it. Okay. And I got my book okay. open too. So what, what do we got? I'm going to read this about the arc of our lives as social beings. Mm-hmm. And it's neither too long nor too short. And I think it'll fit. And it's called cornerstones. What page is this? It is on page 21. 21. If you haven't bought the book yet, go out, buy it, pause this, come back, wait for it to be shipped to you, and then open to this page. Exactly. Page 21. Yes. Cornerstones. Awesome. Let's do it. Hit it. You're a good MC, Preston. Thank <laughs> you. Brick by brick, it might be just another trick, lest we forget Dare we remember, the stones take us back. We meander and careen from one to the other, sometimes faithfully, more often mistakenly. Can we afford to be cornered so cleverly, victims of our own structure? Digging through the ruins, we fluctuate, searching for the cornerstones, upending the sins. I was bullied. You were lied to. She was diminished. He was homogenized. We were all told to be quiet. Those are the rotten corners. Leave them to their decline. Grain by grain, replace the pain. Tie in to the emergent picture. The lattice work of new and vibrant anchors. I love it. That's great. What a great piece. Thank you, oh, Preston. Hopeful. There's some metacognition in there. There's a little bit of self-help embedded into yes. there. I love this. This is beautiful. What does this one mean to you specifically? So, or maybe it means a lot of things to you. Cornerstone, I think, has a particular meaning if you're writing a script. Um, a screenplay, it becomes a focal point for a character's backstory. That's how I've heard it used. And Mm -hmm. I heard that in a a discussion by some showrunners. And I thought, yeah, man, I've got some cornerstones. I'm going to go digging around and sort this out. And I had been thinking a lot about this. I just have this theory. I have no proof, but my own theory that we're we are homogenized when we're kids you got mm-hmm. 25 35 kids in the first grade class and the teachers 
pulling his or her hair out. You know, yeah. there's got to be some order to the chaos and all that unbridled creativity. And I just don't think that one to many is the right model for teaching kids. But it's too yeah. late because I got inculcated and I'm pissed off about it. Yeah. And that comes through we all did. poems, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we've all been diminished, right? Even with the best of intentions. I mean, I love my first grade teacher, but I think some part of my tape loops got developed by you can't be so exuberant. You got to chill, man. You got to sit still. So I'm, I guess and I'm this getting, happens with families too, though, right? Parents do the same thing. And it happens in our adult lives too, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes exuberance gets people go like, dude, like why, you know, I can't, why are you so excited about this? <laughs> and, and I think that it's this arc of being told to be quiet. No, man, don't tell me to be quiet. You know, mm -hmm. I give me the megaphone. I I've got something to say. Now I'm not going to always be in your face, but right now I want you to listen to me, mm -hmm. right? It's about being heard. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and being heard means not just speaking, but the recipient listening, like you and I are listening to each other. I'm not just talking on you or over you and waiting like it's for a collaborative. our time to speak. Mm -hmm. Life is a, is a collaboration of not homogenizing people or painting them into a particular political uh, ecosystem and so on and so forth. So for me, this is again, one of my favorites because I feel pretty passionate that we, we do benefit from digging through our own cornerstones. And what really makes sense for me is being creative and musical and poetic and philosophical and mentoring other people if they're interested and talking to other people about this stuff in the process. Man, that's like, that's the new lattice work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. I think, I think. I love the whole thing about what were you talking about? Active listening to. I think that is one of the yeah. biggest gifts you can give to another human being is actually listening to them, like sitting there, shutting the fuck up, paying attention, <laughs> you know what I mean? Really trying to, and that goes into empathy too. If you can't have empathy yes. without listening, right? So true. Yeah. And, I think a, it's, and just, it's acquired skill, active listening. Oh yeah. Those, those, those people listening, you can go read. There are plenty of books on it or just online articles, right? Active listening is a process and it's like mindfulness and mm -hmm. it's like being an attentive observer, but also being detached. This gets into the whole haiku thing. And it's just mm -hmm. like carrying yourself through the world where you're not on top of this chaotic ocean. You're down below, you're centered, you're equanimous, yes. you know, you're ready to get that inspiration for the, for the, for the, next poem you're going to write or painting you're going to paint, man. That's yeah. what I think. Discovering stillness for me was very okay. important in my evolution as an artist and as a writer, being able to okay. quiet the thoughts, you know, meditating, you're talking about mindfulness, uh, yeah. having that space, being able to sit in a room by yourself, with yourself, with your thoughts and not go crazy. Um, yes. I, I know, you know, sure. Art can be about exercising all those demons and all those thoughts, not exercising, but exorcising, you know? Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, and that's great. But if you can't be with yourself and kind of organize those thoughts into some sort of cohesive structure that you can get out, 
then it's just madness. So I think it's really important to be able to find that stillness within yourself. That's why I'm always recommending meditation. Okay. And I think that is a great way, a segue to haiku, because I know you said you use that as a way of finding mindfulness. You said listening to haiku. Can you take us through that a little bit? Well, what I do, and, and this is something I picked and up. Lee, I'm sorry. From... I'm sorry. Let me just stop you for one second. Just for some people out there, um, maybe yeah. people don't know exactly what a haiku is or they knew and they forgot. Can you explain what a haiku is first? Of course. So I think there's a false idea about haiku being a three-line poem that must be comprised of five syllables in line one, seven syllables in two, and five and three. Mm-hmm. There is some of that still happening today, and it's cool. It's it's fine. It came about because of a bit of a misunderstanding about Japanese phonics mapping onto English phonics. Hmm. So you feel free to do five seven five if you want, folks. But modern haiku today is flourishing in don't count your syllables. Three short lines. I like to think of a haiku, and there's two types. One would be nature-centric, so that the focus is on a natural phenomenon, something happening in nature in a specific moment. Mm-hmm. And another type called sindriu is human condition in a specific moment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be nature. It can even be a little humor, okay? But uh, those two things, there's a chiminess. Uh, a temple bell ringing quality to a red or a spoken haiku. Mm-hmm. And it should put you into a, a mind state where you can see and experience what the poet was experiencing and add your own personal experiences to that moment. So it's a very moment-centered, still open and observant form of poetry. Oh, that's awesome. Ties in with okay. what we were talking about being present. It's almost like the most present uh, form form of poetry. Right. And so what I've, I, when I wrote my book, I consciously chose not to read other poets' work while mm-hmm. I was working on my manuscript, manuscript. And now that it's out, I've been digging deep dives into Frost and Elizabeth Bishop and um, T.S. Eliot. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess my point being that's a different style of poetry but i will read haiku just in order to get my writing time centered and started Mm -hmm. sometimes i'll do it while walking or sometimes i'll do it in my office just open a journal that i bought or look online just read a couple of dozen haiku and it's just i found it to be very effective oh that's nice and i may i may then write not haiku or I might. Yeah. But try it. There's a lot of good haiku out there. There is this thing called sort of desk coup, which would be sort of like Hallmark, Hallmark card-esque haiku that you might mm-hmm. want to avoid. DM me if you want some suggestions for some good journals. But yeah. um, why don't I read one that's nature-centric, and then I'll read one that's more about human condition? They're very short. Yeah, let's do it. I love it. And I'm get, and I'm going to read each one twice. Okay. Just to let it focus in and if you're driving and listening to this podcast, don't close your eyes, but you know, anyone else, you might even want to close your eyes and just do this as a little bit of a meditative exercise. Would so, you rec- would you recommend 
breathing. I think getting in I touch think with the breath. So. Yeah. And I think just imagining you're about to hear the temple chime and there's going to be this mm-hmm. resonating lyrical sound coming your way. <laughs> I like it. Um, this poem first appeared in Presence issue 70. Bird song in the hedgerow conjuring dawn. Bird song in the hedgerow conjuring dawn. Beautiful. Okay. So it's so it's ahead. interesting too. I like the fact that you you repeated it. It's almost could feel like a chant too. You could just repeat it's almost like a, a mantra. You yeah. know, it's almost like a gateway into a meditative state. Like I I I completely understand what you're talking about. Oh, it is. And and let's put a pin in that. I I would lo- I know there's a time limit. I'd love to tell an anecdote about how I finally got the story arc figured out for my book. And it has to do with speaking poetry out loud. It's so powerful. Yes. And and in particular with haiku here, back to the, the current issue, is that um uh I just agree with what you said. Yes. Mm-hmm. Reading it or listening to it, being read to you, there is a chant like prayerful mm-hmm. aspect and so this particular haiku is called the sendryu which is going to be human condition uh, as opposed to nature per se there can still be elements of nature not to get too wonky here here's the poem and i'll read it twice this poem first appeared in the heron's nest june 2021 issue 3 a.m., moonlight pacing on the floorboards. 3 a.m., moonlight pacing on the floorboards. Oh, that's nice. I closed my eyes for that one. Wow, I got so many visuals from that. I immediately... Now maybe this this isn't a very peaceful thing to think about, but it, it no. Please, me I, I to would this. love to hear. Let's. I mean, everyone should be thinking what they got from it, yeah. not what I. Well, like, I got two I, things. I got two things. I got I got two different uh, visuals uh, from each read. Well, from one from one read and another one from another read. First thing I thought of was a parent pacing at night, waiting for their child to come home, and then the second time. I got a parent, well, a to-be parent pacing, expecting their child to be born, Awesome. which is weird because I don't have any children, but that's immediately what I thought. It put me right into that state. Like I, I could almost feel it. I love that. Well, and that Beautiful. is, you, you are by describing what you experience, you're that is what haiku is. It's the reader's connection mm. to the moment about which the poem, the poet, has written words and put it together. And, and obviously, there was an experience that I had that catalyzed the poem. But it's less about me than the moment. And there's this interesting saying, I guess, about haiku that. If you and I are standing in the forest, Preston, and I want to point your attention to this beautiful crescent moon, 
I want my poem to be my my pointing finger, and mm-hmm. I don't want my arm to be full of clanging jewelry and you know fiery you know gesticulations. It's I just want to point you so you look, and then I get out of the way. Well, yeah, I love that's that. That's a it's, haiku. Yeah, it's kind of bare bones. It's almost like each word is selected very wisely. Oh, yeah. Uh, so just because we are an art podcast and a, and a yeah. creative process podcast, are you willing to share the actual behind the curtain, the, what, what the concept that you had when you wrote that, or is it too personal? No, I can. Absolutely. I happen to have a long-standing battle with 3am and 4am. I just, if I wake up, it's sometimes difficult. Uh, not always, but it's a time that I find particularly fraught with just being unsettled. Mm-hmm. So when I awoke and noticed the time, it just stuck in my mind. And then I was walking and I saw the moonlight coming through a window, illuminating the floor. And my attention was drawn to the juxtaposition between the moon, which I even have a whole poem in the book about the moon. It's got a special meaning and significance to me and obviously many other writers and poets and people. Yes. But that distant object and the cosmological reality of it and the light reflected from our sun and it's coming through my window at this exact moment and I've got this insomnia. This is like, that's the moment. It's almost like it's for you specifically. You know, it's a bit of an anthropomorphizing of the moon and the light. Like, is this a universal tap on the shoulder? Like, I know you're here. I I know you're kind of pacing and unsettled. And it's okay, man. Like, I'm just out here rotating. I've been doing this for billions of years. Mm -hmm. Chill. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Yeah. That's great. I love that. That's beautiful. and. It's so interesting because I've read haiku before. I think in school, I even wrote some. I never wrote any on my own, but I have a completely different understanding of it now. So thank you for that. Okay. And it's very interesting. It's almost like a great exercise for any type of creative. If you want to just fast track to the creative mindset, you could just use that to kind of quiet the noise, you know? Yes. Yeah. And then you have to be, you have to be deliberate about your word choice and Mm -hmm. the, the cadence, and it, we tend to shy away from verbs. Um, there's a verb form in here. Pacing is a gerund, right? Mm-hmm. We, we haiku we modern haiku tends to shy away from verbs. Well, even um, classic Japanese, um, and there are other heuristics. Excuse me. I hope someday to I don't know do what to teach some kind of a grassroots class or just I'm so excited about it and its potential. For awakening and enlivening mm-hmm. uh, a, a way of seeing the world, not just being a poet or a writer. And you might be able to apply this to your own work as a painter, Preston. I, we sure. can talk about this later. You know? Yeah, Maybe. yeah, I love it. You, we yeah. could have a whole separate podcast interview just on haiku. <laughs> so maybe we we'll do that down the road. Um, for sure, man. But I wanted to because we are, we're not running out of time. We can go forever, but I want people to still be listening to what you're yeah. saying. So, and I want to hit, you know, your website and all that, but 
Okay. I, I did write, I know you've, you've worn many hats, like you were an IT manager, did tech consulting, software development, director of operations for an architecture slash construction firm, yeah. entrepreneur, musician, writer, you've worn many hats. I had two observations on this. One of them is something that is kind of a through line with all that or an undercurrent to a lot of these is writing, which is interesting. Yeah. With your music, yeah. you're writing. With your writing, you're obviously writing. <laughs> but in a lot right. of these you know, tech, uh, information technology stuff, you, you wrote a bunch of articles, hundreds of articles. You, know, you had the e-zine that you co-founded um, yes. and, and wrote for. Writing is something that you've been doing throughout this whole process. Um, That's so, true. Yeah, which is very interesting. And I guess it's not really much of a surprise that you became a writer. I wanted to ask you, was there anything, was it difficult making the transition from a more technical type of writing or a nonfiction type of writing into poetry? The short answer for me is no. Mm. I... I fell right into it. And I think it's because I've been a consumer of literature, poetry, music, lyrics, dialogue in TV shows and movies. All of these storytelling formats have been um, very influential and inspirational to me throughout my life. And I think that it's a bit osmosis. And um, probably being such an audiophile and just a, a music lover, um, both instrumental, but there's always been a love in, in, in me for good lyrics that tell a story. I'm not particularly fond of lyrics that might be in the Spotify top 10 playlist rotation right now, misogynistic or, mm-hmm. you know, violent or just. There's just no story there to me. That's a more of a long-winded answer, but I found it very easy. And I just started writing haiku on birthday cards from my relatives and oh, friends, nice. Preston. Mm-hmm. That's really how, that was that first little act. I wrote that letter. One of the things I did with the writing was, okay, what's the shortest possible format for a poem? a haiku yes there's even a monocu which is a single line right but i just started that and i said okay i'm digging on this and i'm going to keep doing this and then i just began to write longer form and Mm. there you go i love it i love it and you're it's a great way to kind of hone the craft too like there has there's a lot of thought put into a little poem I can see yeah. how it could be easier to expand. It almost seems like it would be easier to do that than to be writing long form poetry and then go to haiku after that. Well, maybe and, maybe and, I'm talking out of my ass here, but you know. Well, you know how you, you probably keep some paintings and maybe later you paint over them or you repaint them differently. Mm-hmm. I will share with you, I don't know the exact count, but for this poem, there might be 10, 15, or even 20 iterations. And oh, I wow. keep them. It's yeah. easy to keep them. It's all in Word, right? I, I know some people hand journal. And I've seen some other um, haiku masters talk about this, whether it's handwritten or typed, keep the history of each individual poem because it's instructive. Yes. Why did I make that particular change? And so if people are listening and thinking about writing poetry, I keep old versions of 
poems too, little snippets, because there's language there that I could come back to and find a place for potentially. Yeah. But this was I not the way it first appeared when I when I when I first wrote it. And some editors will also, because haiku's so short, it's it's not that often, but will occasionally make a suggestion. And I always say, yeah, okay, <laughs> you're yeah. the editor uh, for sure. And um, so I hope that's not too long winded an answer to your question. No, it's great, and I think I it, it resonates with me because. As a painter, I've gone back and looked at a lot of my old stuff, stuff that sometimes uh-huh. you, you, you're always like, as human beings, we're always looking towards the future and yeah. like, what could we do next? The next is always going to be better. And I think there's a, a purpose for that. And I think it, it works well for us to have goals and to be trying to get better and improve with whatever we're doing. But like when yeah. I go back sometimes and look at some of the old paintings, maybe some, uh, some of the pop surreal stuff that I did that I put a lot of time into every yeah. once in a while, I'll find a piece and I'm like, wow, like I kind of, maybe I. I lost a little something here or, or this is something that I was doing really well at the time that I just didn't continue on with. And then the same thing with abstract pieces. So I think it's important to go back and revisit stuff. And I think that's cool that you, that you save these different iterations because sometimes you can find a version that maybe sparks some sort of new form of, of creativity or, or a new direction with your writing or just a new theme that you can, you know, follow down a path. Absolutely. And I've had some poems that I've resurrected after over a year and just yeah. come back in like, oh, I get it. And it's in one of my favorites. When yes. I had set it aside, it's just maybe dead or hibernated. Mm-hmm. So uh, a key piece of advice to anyone doing something creatively where it's an iterative process, keep your iterations. I think that's important and can be very instructive and a way to re-inspire yourself. That's my take on it. I completely agree. So I think I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to some of these rapid fire questions because, go. you know, I'm not going to hit you with every one of them, but do you have any specific daily routines that work for you as a writer or as Definitely. a human being either way? Sure. For, for writing, I will go on long walks. I'm probably the guy you see with a, with a pad and a, and a pen and people are wondering what is he doing <laughs> or, a, or a sheaf of papers, you know, stapled a long list of poetry that I want to just read cold. Maybe it's been a week and I've stepped back. So walking, I live in an urban neighborhood, but there is a green belt, a place to go where it's more natural. I could go to the beach if I wish. And um, Mm -hmm. I can even go without uh, paper, just take my phone. And if I have an idea, type it in. So I keep lots of uh, ideas on my phone. That's a ritual um, too. So that probably is the primary you know, try and find a time in your household or workspace where you're not going to be interrupted. Interruptions are hard for me, perhaps with others too. It's mm-hmm. not always easy, especially COVID lockdown and everybody living at home. So I try and I'm more of a morning person by the afternoon or evening. I'm just, I don't necessarily usually have the creative mojo, mm-hmm. um, but it's pretty laissez-faire. Yeah. there but but i i do like to write or edit uh when walking hmm. i like that. long answer i know this is supposed to be rapid fire i'll try and be more no no first. no <laughs> rapid fire for me it doesn't have to be rapid fire for you <laughs> and I, I you know i will occasionally listen to music and i've got one poem that I, I just did this sort of synesthesia thing to see what would happen but mostly i try to have it be quiet yeah because if i hear 
a song has got lyrics in it, okay, now I'm, that's it. I can't get away from the earbug of the lyrics. So maybe I'll put on some, you know, burbling brook YouTube uh, background sounds. But I completely uh, understand the walking. There's a rhythmic aspect to walking, like almost yeah. like a marching. When I used to write uh, both lyrics and poetry, it would be the uh-huh. same thing. I could just kind of get into a rhythm with the steps and, oh, cool. and, and figure it out. And like, it was really good for writing music for me, uh, lyrics to music at least. So, Excellent. but also a lot of people, a lot of different creatives talk about, walking just to clear the mind get in touch with nature yes. you know a lot of ideas come from that so that's that's and, uh, well but, and i try to do it with a particular mindset now, now folks listening i mean i have by no means you know the poster child for a lot of this i try mm-hmm. i try but i'll try and just walk and be observant and i might see something that could become a poem it, it might not be every time but i have had it happen so yeah. just be open and who's to say that even if it doesn't right away turn into a poem, that it's not stuck in your subconscious somewhere and comes out at a, at a later time? Well, and, and not to belabor the 3 a.m. poem, but I will share an important point, which is a piece of advice I give everyone. You know, journal everything. Like if I just gone back to bed instead of typing that in with typos and everything in, in my phone, I would have lost that poem forever. It yeah. would have been gone. I might not even have remembered being momentarily an insomniac and having this transcendent experience. Like people write it down, make a note, something yes. to concretize it. I have at least three or four ideas that I've lost forever. And I'm so frustrated by that because I didn't write it down. I said, I'll do it in just a minute. Yep. And it's gone. Yeah. Irretrievable. I have that too. And I have that with Don't business that ideas person. as well. Don't be that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't do me. Do no, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a good exercise too. Um, cool. So biggest failures. Have you had a failure that you learned something from that kind of ended up steering you in the right direction? Okay. Easy. Uh, putting the manuscript through the sausage grinder of the book design. Now you can, people out there wanting to self-publish, you can design your own books, their platforms and templates, and you could you could spend a lot of time and money on that stuff. If you're not already proficient with InDesign or an, it's like a Photoshop for yeah. Book. Okay. Mm-hmm. I delegated that to a, an awesome book design company, Lemono 6 Design in, in Arizona. They saved my life because I was getting too caught up in the details. And then I'd submit and we'd go through the iterative process and they had a brilliant workflow. And I knew at every step of the way what was happening, but the emotional roller coaster of, oh my God, oh my God. Okay. Did I catch all the proofreading errors? Oh, they wanted to change this one poem the line. Oh my God, oh my God. And I got myself way too worked up. And I'd call that a, a failure in the sense of, I just didn't have the emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. And I needed that third party to say, Lee, just email me, um, you know, the PM, the project manager. You know, if you're worried about something, just email me. We, we got this, bro. Yes. You're going you're gonna to get that printed proof and you just be crying tears of joy. And she was right because when it came, you know, it was just euphoria. So the failure would be just being human and like having a hard time waiting. Yes. Waiting, but also like get letting other people like offloading some stuff, letting people take away some of the burden. Like I have a hard time with that being a little bit of a perfectionist. I want to hire a team of people to help me 
eventually with certain things, but like I haven't done it for monetary reasons, exactly. partially, but also because like, I don't want to give up control. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I think it wasn't that you were giving up control, but you were allowing some decisions to be made without you completely overanalyzing them. And, and I know my own demons and perfectionism. I needed someone else to regulate the process and say, we've now proofreaded the book sufficiently. And the book has no errors. I mean, it's a yeah. flawless piece of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And that's been noted in many of the reviews. And I think that's part of the reason why it gets awards. And okay, yeah. because there are a lot of poorly designed, poorly edited, poorly typographically laid out books out there. Yeah. I'm, okay. Mm-hmm. They're easy to see up on Amazon and elsewhere. So anyway, the failure would be, I wish I could have been a little more chill and equanimous during mm-hmm. that process, but there you go. Yeah. But then you wouldn't be you and you would have put out the book that you did too. So, but exactly. you learned from the process and, and I learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's I great. Learned. So let's do one more advice to young Lee. And I want to first say this reminded me because, because we skipped over a little bit, we could do a round two at some point if we wanted to, but um, I did want to say that Lee also has a great blog on his website, leehudspeth.com. And there is one, we did one interview together on that, which was, I'm very proud Mm -hmm. of. And that was fun. That was so much. It was a lot of fun. And, but there is also a blog post that you did, which I really highly recommend to people. And it's, my advice for aspiring writers and yes. asking you advice to your younger self sparked that. So I just wanted to make sure that that okay. was out there for people. If anybody's an aspiring writer or wants some tips, go to Lee's blog and, and read that yeah. blog post. Okay. Well, thank you. And I, I, so what would I say to my younger self? And this can be life say, advice or, or writing advice, whatever you want. Yeah. It's the long game. Mm-hmm. I was often so caught up in, am, am, am I in the right, you know, are my friends, am I in the right tribe and trying so hard to conform and, um, hey man, let your freak flag fly, you yes. know, I, like, that's what I would, it's, and you're going to make it and you're going to, you know, what's the Pink Floyd lyric, shine on you crazy diamond. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, man. Just just go for it and perhaps to be less hesitant sometimes to do that, mm-hmm. taking that step and, and going for it. That's in a nutshell. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great advice. I, I love it. Well, where can people, we, I know you just said this, but where can people find you online, both your website and social media? Sure. So Lee Um, It's all up there. It's easy peasy to email me or, Sign up for my, my newsletter. It's free. I don't spam people. Uh, you can unsubscribe if you want to. You can find me on Twitter at Lee Huds um, or just look me up. H-U-D-S, right? Yeah, H-U-D-S. Mm-hmm. There was already one with my full name. On uh, Instagram, I'm at Hudspath Lee. And I'm always open to communicating with people. So for sure, feel free to reach out. Yeah. And I know you can read a lot of your haikus on many different journals that you've been in. Um, did you want to uh, have a couple of those or I can, I can run through the list right now, or if you want to just um, highlight a couple that people can check out. Oh, the journal. So it would be, um, sure. I'll just go through, um, cold moon journal. 
mm-hmm. um, all of these I just have the highest respect for, and you'll find them quickly, and you'll just be reading excellent haiku right away. Um, mm-hmm. Poetry P Journal. She has a podcast too. Um, That's P E A, right? Yes, yeah. poetry, and then P E A mm-hmm. Journal. The Heron's Nest, Akitsu Quarterly, mm-hmm. A K I. TSU failed haiku, which is a sendryu in a way is a like it's not about nature, it's about people. Yeah, you know, the joke is failed haiku. I like that. Um, presence, fireflies, light, uh, haiku journal. Just that's what his name is, haiku journal, <laughs> <laughs> and stardust haiku. Those are the journals that I've been honored to be a contributor to thus far. That's awesome. And uh, I, I read them and I learn so much from other poets and their work. So, and there's all kinds of resources, folks. Uh, any of these journals will have a resources page, or you can just email the editors. Or the, I mean, it's a community that really welcomes and embraces new people, new to the form, emerging, masterclass, whatever. There's no, no one is turned away. All are welcome. Oh, awesome. I love it. And congratulations on being included in so many of these. I know you got some coming Thank up. Thank you. What, what are you working on right now? What, what do we got to expect so, from you? I've got some more pending out there. Uh, there are others I'd like to be published in. And I'm um, just beginning to, I've got four poems ready for submission on the deck, so to speak, to catapult into the, what I call non-haiku journals, meaning it could be free verse, it could be there's all kinds of different poetry forms, but my style is sometimes rhyming and sometimes more prose poetry. So it's a process of going through a lot of journals. I think, I think I'm up to over looking at over 250. Lots are just closed. Oh, wow. You know, you just got to go through them. And then I've just found four or five or six and you submit and you wait and it's months sometimes. Oh yeah. It's a process. It's like submit and- it and forget about it. Correct. So yep. that's exactly where I poised on the, the precipice there. And uh, I'm beginning to feel like I'm developing a mass of work that could be the beginning of a second book. Nice. So I can't put a time frame on that, but I is this going to be a poetry book again? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Might be might be a commingling of haiku and free verse. Or rhyming. Oh, that would be it, cool. It, it, it might be I just do a chapbook if it's just haiku, and I might go through a press instead of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. So I'm that learning. would be interesting. I like the idea of having some haiku sprinkled throughout. It's almost like you know, when you're eating sushi or whatever, and you have the little ginger as the palate cleanser. It's almost like the haiku is the beautiful palate cleanser for the next one. That could be interesting. I mean, obviously... Yeah, I- I was just thinking about that. Do whatever you well, want, but it could be interesting. I love fiction writers like Patrick Rothfuss with the Kingkiller Chronicles, you know, the first mm-hmm. two books of the trilogy. Lots of poetry in there, mm-hmm. lots of lyrical songs. One of the characters is a, is a bard, you know, a troubadour. Um, he works poetry into his fiction. To me, man, that is the cat's meow. Just yeah. cherry on top, baby. So if I'm going to write uh, some fiction work, I'd love to work poetry in as an angle or a little smidgen mm-hmm. in there. Just like, yeah, check this out. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the the 
two fiction books that I wrote or co-wrote one of the main character was a writer. So it was kind of a nice excuse to just sprinkle poetry throughout the fiction. And that, that's fun. I love that. I, I actually love reading books like that too. Well, and I, I think I would encourage your listeners to go up on Amazon and search for your book, the poetry book. They can search for it by your name, but what's the book title so they can be cognizant? Oh, it's funny because I've got a I've got a poem and a well, sorry, the book, and I've got a painting with a similar title, but it's that's right. That's right. The city will rise. And it's an awesome um, amalgamation of your visual work and your poetry. I bought it. I mean, yeah, it's a great, I, you're it's the great one. Book. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> you're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. You can be brother. number two. No, but um, okay. no, but thanks for, uh, for plugging that. I'm sure that sounded like I was trying to promote myself, but, but I, I really no, appreciate you I, putting that out there. Lee, it's been awesome. Welcome. Like I'm really excited for you. I'm proud of you. It's been fun to watch you progress so quickly and how you've had such a game plan that you've stuck to. You've been relentless. Um, You've also been open to learning. And I'm just really excited about all the success you've had in a short period of time. I know it probably doesn't feel short, but in the grand scheme of things, it is a short period of time. So I think the sky is the limit for you. Well, thank you. And I I do want your listeners to know, I I listen to your podcast regularly and, you know, you and I have a similar, um, we're kindred spirits in the things that interest us about the process and just being open um, to new experiences. And I I guess that would be my advice to people out there. Let your creative self emerge and just take it one action at a time and just watch what happens. It's going to be amazing you'll be energized and inspired by your, your own growth. I, I yes, guess that's, I completely agree. Thank you so much for sharing everything, for reading and for coming on the podcast. And I know we'll probably do this again down the road. Uh, it's been an honor to be here, Preston. Thanks for the invitation. Loved it. Great time. You bet. Stick around, but uh, we're going to sign off for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Living Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful, so thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, You can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMS Artwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.